0: Good morning and welcome to SPIN Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsegel.com. And we are pleased to have back on the show former state senator Jack Martins, who also, also, uh, most recently, was the vice chair of the New York Independent Redistricting Commission, which was supposed to be a great government reform here in New York State, that you'd have an independent... Nonpartisan or bipartisan, I should say, uh, commission that would be redrawing the lines that need to get redrawn every ten years for Congress, for State Senate, for State Assembly, a ten member commission that was gonna look at everything and try and draw the fairest lines possible to include community communities. And we spoke to Jack a couple weeks ago, maybe at this point it was like two months ago, about where the commission was going and the different maps that it has. And now, according to press reports, and we'll let we'll get into the insider's view right now, the the commission which was tasked with one thing which was producing a map did not go ahead and do that they produced two maps so essentially really no official map they're sending that to the legislature and what happens and why does this matter here to talk about it all jack Martins. jack thanks for joining us
1: great to be here michael thank you
0: so tell us what happened what will happen and what do you think give us give us your real thoughts on the on the process or lack of it
1: well, look, we had a process. Um, we agreed. Uh, ten members on the commission, five Democrats, five Republicans, after the hearings, which ended up right around Thanksgiving, we agreed on the process of trying to arrive at a single set of maps, like you said. We had our line drawers, a Republican and a Democrat, consultants get together and draw a uh, an initial map. The map was based on the maps that we had produced back in September. It was based on testimony that we heard at all the hearings we held across New York state. And, and they did that. They put that together between the two of them. And then the commission broke down into subgroups to discuss different portions of the state. We worked at it for about uh, two and a half weeks, uh, hundreds and hundreds of hours between all the commissioners and negotiations. and. We were down to maybe a handful of items, uh, certainly less than 10 items statewide that we were trying to work out, and the Democrats, in the middle of a negotiation, uh, read a statement saying they would no longer negotiate and walked away. Now, what does that mean? It means a couple of things. One, we had a process, we were negotiating, they got things, we got things in the map, um, but we were working collaboratively to get to a final set of maps, Congress, State Senate, and Assembly. and For some reason, they stopped. Now, Michael, we've all been in negotiations or somebody tells you, hey, look, if I don't get this, I'm walking. I cannot go beyond this point. That never happened. In the midst of wrapping up those final points, they basically said they're leaving and that was it. And then they put forward their own uh, map that they had prepared the five of them with nobody else. So we were left with no option, but to finish off the maps that we had negotiated and submitted it Uh, and both maps will be presented to the legislature uh, just this next week from what i understand they will probably take it up next week and um, and we'll see where we go from there but the legislature will have a set of maps that were prepared only by democrats a partisan map and they'll have a set of maps that were prepared by the commission as a whole for the most part let's say maybe 90% of the maps were prepared. And those last few items we completed uh, in order to have a complete set of maps to get to the legislature. um, I would say that the maps we prepared reflect the priorities of both sides before they turned their backs and walked away.
0: Okay, so Jack, I, I, I know it's difficult. We're talking about maps, and this is not, unfortunately, TV. It's radio. We're trying to get people to understand, you know, why this matters and why it matters to them, you know, and where do I fall out? And you know, the one thing I think that everybody needs to keep in mind is that for ten years, you are going to have this representative representing you potentially, or you're going to be in this district. It might not be the same person, uh, obviously, but you know, it's this idea of do. Uh, elected officials pick their voters or do the voters pick their elected officials? That's this age-old age old issue. But I think get back to... Uh, let's get back to a second for this commission. It was created to be a reform, right? It was supposed to be that we would take it out of the hands of the legislature. And guess what? Now it's in the hands of the legislature. Yeah,
1: the, last, the last thing that we as New Yorkers want are politicians drawing their own lines. That's the whole reason for having passed... constitutional amendment um, you know in 2014 we want it to be done in a bipartisan way where people have to agree and that we're not just drawing lines so that we can ensure incumbency Um, unfortunately by the democrats having walked away um, they have frankly ensured that this process will continue and if the legislature ends up voting down these maps um, it will just come back to us for us to try and get together once again and put maps together but but your point is well made Michael let's talk about where it makes a difference for us here in Nassau County right where where would it have made a difference their maps would propose drawing assembly districts that cross the Nassau Queens boundary Um, you know we've always held that our forms of government out here on Long Island villages towns hamlets cities with Glencoe and Long Beach are different than you know the borough of Queens our school districts are different how we govern is different our quality of life and suburban quality of life is protected by those structures and so we've always maintained a firm line at the Queens-Nassau border to prevent the city and Nassau County from crossing over into each other because they're just so different the Democrats would have three of those districts going across uh, in in the assembly and would have a number of them going across for, um, for Congress. Uh, it, it's, it's a, frankly, it's, it's something that hasn't been done in the past in, as far as the state races are concerned. Um, we can talk about Congress in a second, uh, but it's important that we keep that line for our state districts uh, at the Queens border.
0: So. Let's just talk for a second about, you know, this was supposed to be reform on the part of the Democrats, right? This was supposed to be – this was brought by Governor Cuomo, right? The former Governor Cuomo as a great reform to the process uh, after, you know, so that we would eliminate gerrymandering. We would eliminate this process. So I, I, at what point – and I, maybe, you know, I guess as an insider only you can answer this – at what point did it break down? At what point did everybody stop uh, – stop – trying to satisfy the good government people, if you will, and then kind of retreat to their corners. Uh, I, I, look, we know, we both know, as as longtime uh, political people, that partisanship is always going to be there. But this was supposed to surpass it, transcend it, I think is the right word, right? we were supposed to transcend politics with this commission. Was it doomed from the start? With this, Was this just a hoax perpetrated on the people of New York?
1: No, well, no, it wasn't. Um, and and we'd have to go back even to Ed Koch uh, as the great reformer for for redistricting. If you remember the mayor's efforts uh, back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten into two thousand and eleven, leading the charge for this redistricting effort. Um, it It fell apart uh, on at four o'clock on december twenty second, um, and which is, you
0: almost made it to the finish line. It almost,
1: it almost made We came so close. And, and they acknowledged that we came very close to it as well. The, the point is, you, you have a process that everyone agreed to. You are, you're working on it. You're negotiating in good faith. And everyone did put in the time and the effort to try and get to a great product. At 4 o'clock, which is when this happened, we had a call at 4 o'clock. And we're told right at the beginning of the call that they were no longer going to negotiate, and they walked away. Why? To this day, they haven't explained why. Um, and they a, they decided instead to advance their own partisan maps. Now, if I had to guess, uh, they're doing it, obviously, to promote a, an agenda. Um, if I had to guess, they wanted to skunk the system to allow uh, the Democrat majority in uh, the legislature, both in the State Senate and the Assembly, the opportunity to draw these maps, because they only get to draw these maps if there's dysfunction at the commission level. And Michael, when I tell you we have emails back and forth that show a timeline of cooperation, collaboration, and and people genuinely working together to reach a finished product, it stands in stark contrast to a group walking away. Uh, But unfortunately, that's exactly what happened.
0: So, I think we all need to, I guess, talk about the dynamics as far as how the, you know, what the pressures are on redistricting, right? Uh, You you have a desire to draw good maps. I'm sure that there is some uh, interest in doing that. Uh, There's also a desire to protect incumbents because those are the people who are actually in office, so they are trying to do that as well. And then there's also this national idea of, and particularly New York being a blue state, controlled by Democrats entirely to grab as many seats as possible for the Democrats in Congress. In particular, and then I guess as well down at the legislative level, the state legislative level, to try and make as many seats blue. And there's of course tension between some of all, uh, some of those dynamics, because. Protecting incumbents doesn't always mix with trying to create a more competitive districts for one side or the other. I mean, the balance of power of New York is very interesting because, of course, we think of New York as being this incredibly blue state, but it has quite a few members of Congress who are Republican. So now, how, and, and some, I'm sure there are some in Albany who want to eliminate those altogether, or at least drive that number way, way down. So, can you talk about and elaborate on some of those tensions? and how those come into making these, uh, these maps?
1: Sure. You know, I'll start by saying one, um, we purposely stayed away from uh, even knowing where incumbents lived for, for not and did not want maps influenced by uh, incumbency. We, the real pressure, uh, and, and I think on both sides, was identifying uh, what we commonly call, as communi- call communities of interest. Which communities belong together um, and why? Uh, and I think that the the stark difference between the two sides was, um, you know, and and I guess it comes from your background and it comes from from uh, you know a, a respect for uh, the process itself. Um, I believe that your communities are your villages, your towns, your neighborhoods, um, not necessarily, crossing boundaries because you want to assemble a certain number of of demographic. Um, Yes, we have a responsibility certainly to protect those communities that have been underserved historically, you know, pursuant to the Voting Rights Act, you have to look at those communities, and you have to look for ways of giving them an opportunity to vote for uh, people who can represent their voice. Uh, That goes for all types of ethnic racial, religious backgrounds, and, and I think we did that. Uh, at the end of the day, it really comes down to um, your sense of how you assemble those communities. Uh, for us, it was making sure that we maintained that border between Queens and Nassau, because it, there is a difference. We tried to uh, create a congressional district that went from southwest Nassau County from the five towns and across the south shore of Brooklyn to Borough Park to create a majority district centered on a, a language minority um, and frankly a religious minority and I thought it would it was an appropriate district to have and the pushback on that from the Democrats was was, was pretty pretty severe um, why I don't know yet they were very concerned about making sure that um, the Asian community in Sunset Park in Brooklyn was tied to the Asian community in Chinatown in Lower Manhattan. So you, you, they, you can't choose and pick and choose winners and losers in this process. For the same reason you want to make sure that the Asian community is whole, you should also make sure that the communities of Borough Park and uh, the five towns are whole as well. And how interesting would it have been to have a congressional district that was centered on the communities of the five towns and Borough Park, and what that could have meant in terms of having an advocate in Washington D.C. for the community, uh, soundly rejected by the Democrats right. on the commission.
0: Something particularly interesting to the uh, listeners of this show.
1: Well, I mean, uh, it was it was there and it was proposed, uh, but right. but but unfortunately, um, was a as they as they said, a non-starter.
0: So, if you had to guess, and I don't want to force you to speculate, uh, Senator Martin's, but what, who skunked the process here?
1: The five, uh, commission- did, did, the five. Did people
0: from outside come in to well, to look, push you guys around?
1: When you when you decide, um, when when someone decides to walk away from a process like this, uh, you have to ask the question: Who benefits from their walking away? And you know, who benefits from the Commission not reaching a successful end to their, to their uh, process, um, you know, when you get as far into the process as we did, and, and, you know, the only, the only answer is there has to be a partisan advantage, and that there, this was done for the reasons of allowing, eventually, a legislature to be able to draw their own lines. Now, as I have said before, and I'll say it again, we are committed to doing our job if in fact the legislature takes up these maps next week as we expect and they send them back and we are tasked then we have two weeks if they do reject these maps we have two weeks to reconsider and draw new lines um, we'll be there to come up with alternatives and i hope that the balance of the commission will also join us and not walk away as they did in the past we have a responsibility to um, frankly the state of New York to uh, to get this right and I'm not walking away from that but if you ask where uh, things break down and who could have influenced it uh, I think you just need to ask yourself who stands to benefit from the process failing and I think it's pretty clear who that is.
0: Well. Wow. Uh, let, let's talk for a second. I want, as we have to wrap up this uh, this idea here, is what actually happens now. What if there is no consensus? What if in the end they don't have enough votes even to pass it? Right? Uh, it's yes, there's a veto proof, uh, if you will. Uh, I'm sorry, not a veto proof, a two thirds majority in the state senate, but you can't. You don't necessarily uh, have a lot of wiggle room with that. I mean, there could be incumbents who don't like the way the maps are drawn. It's hard to satisfy everybody. All the time, so uh, you know, as a former incumbent yourself, who who you know looks looks at this, is how what happens if there are no lines? It goes to a court. I mean, there's not a lot of time here. I know that everybody says, well, election day is November, but guess what? The primaries are actually in June, and because of that, the petitioning process, the district process, really has to be set in March. So we're in the middle of the. You know, in the beginning of January, it's not a lot of time, especially if there's court challenges.
1: Yeah, I agree. Here, here's the timeline. Um, and, and we start from the end date and work our way back. I, I'm, I'm told that in order to properly prepare um, district maps and to have them in place to in, or, in order to prepare those petitions in advance of the primaries, um, they have to do it by mid-February. So we start in mid-February and work our way back. We're now today is, you know, we're in the first week of January. If the legislature rejects these maps next week, they come back and the the um, the commission has two weeks in order to prepare a revised map for their consideration. Now the legislature has to vote on these next week. They have to vote up or down, yes or no, without modifying them, and they need a two-thirds vote. In either in either bo- in both houses both the Senate and the Assembly that means that everyone would have to um, vote for it um, all of the majority members would have to vote for it certainly and if they lose any of them because they don't like the lines they don't like how their district is configured and the like they probably won't get that two-thirds vote so it's coming back to us for us to rewrite we'll redraw those that we have two weeks to do that that'll take us through the end of January, the very beginning of February depending on when they actually vote. If they then reject that again on a two-thirds vote, they have to go back and start the process over again and begin preparing their own lines for their consideration and it needs to pass both houses and be signed by the governor before the middle of February. And to the extent that they do that um, and there are people who are dissatisfied with the lines that are being presented and the process that's used to to draw those lines Um, it is likely that there will be as there has been in the past a legal challenge and this will end up in front of either a state court judge or a federal judge or both depending on whether you're dealing with congressional lines or state lines and it will end up being decided by a court Again, remember the backdrop is February 15th, the last day or, or somewhere in mid-February in order to properly inform the petition process in order to get the primaries done on time. So we don't have that much time to actually work through this process. And um, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be a real challenge for us to get there. Again, we're a part of this process. We're gonna do our part. We're going to take the legislature's lead with regard to the decision that they make and then we'll, we'll, we'll take it upon ourselves to present the best maps we can, and we hope that the legislature will consider them properly. Um, and if they don't, they have a very short time frame, a very short window within which they're going to have to uh, prepare their own maps.
0: Okay, last question for you, uh, Jack. We'll, we'll talk a little bit of politics, I guess. But based, uh, I'm sure you're very pleased with how uh, Republicans have done well with uh, Nassau County, Suffolk County, Long Island. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of Democratic incumbents sitting there in the state Senate thinking that they might be newly vulnerable in 2022. And then worried about their worried about their futures uh, based on... What has just happened, and with the way the electorate seems to shift uh, from year to year, uh, but what what do you think? I guess is the political trend on Long Island, and what do you see coming in the coming year? Not just the—I mean, obviously maps are important, but take the commission hat off for a second and put on your your political hat.
1: Well, Michael, uh, I think you you saw this across New York State, not just. Um, on Long Island, but in the Hudson Valley, the, the capital region, western New York. You saw um, a an electorate that came out and supported Republican candidates in ways that they hadn't seen in decades. Um, communities that had not seen a Republican elected official in, in 20, 30 years um, ending up with a majority of a town council or, or a city uh, council or mayors uh, being elected or county executives being elected. Um, and, and we had success as a Republican Party across the state of New York. I do expect that that's going to continue into 2022. I think um, you know, the unfortunate and disastrous policies that uh, Democrats have passed in Albany um, over the last few years um, are, are resonating. Uh, people realize that they need um, adults in the room in Albany and they need people who can actually govern. Uh, then you look at what's happening in D.C. Um, and and some of the failures that we see there. Um, And you you multiply that out over, you know, all of the instances in our own lives where we see those impacts. Inflation, the cost of of feeding our families, the cost of gas at the pump. You see, you know, bail reform laws and you see people um, and communities at risk because people aren't being prosecuted um, and protecting the quality of life of our local communities. So I do expect that that's going to continue. So for those who are, who are in swing districts, um, who um, perhaps those Democrats who are in swing districts, who perhaps have won election in the past, uh, yeah, they, they should be concerned about the wins right now because um, those wins are very difficult. And um, you know if that continues into 2022, uh, it's gonna be an awful difficult year for Democrats, not only across New York State, but across the country.
0: Okay. Senator Jack Martins, uh, the vice chair of the New York Independent Redistricting Commission, uh, which turned out to be uh, in some, I guess, on one side, at least not so independent uh, in the end. That's me. That's my uh, my commentary there. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. And uh, this is, uh, I know, behind-the-scenes baseball for a lot of people, but it's so, so important to talk about how this process works and how it will affect every single voter in New York State in 2022 for the next decade.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Michael.
0: This is Spin Class, and as we wrap up this week, uh, the reason I... Wanted to discuss redistricting is because I think it's instructive, especially this process here in New York. You know, the the proclamation that it was done with good intentions, it can be nonpartisan. We're going to take politics out of it. It's a good segue to talk about January sixth and the aftermath of the commission. I don't want to not going to get into everything about January sixth. How you feel? How you feel about the election of twenty twenty, etc., But. You know Republicans and Democrats alike who wanted to talk about the process of drawing new lines uh, like to think that they can be apolitical or nonpolitical but politics uh, is is everything with regard to government it's just an observation but it 's a truism uh, You have a quote from a from a Republican commissioner, Ross Brady, who said this commission was an abject failure, and a democratic activist who pushed for the Commission to be created. Bill Samuels, well known. Uh, The independent commission was formed as a false positive step by Cuomo because its recommendations don't have to be followed. Again, once again, saying politics is here. It's like the you know the famous bar scene in uh, Casablanca in the movie Casablanca. You know that I'm shocked about what goes on here. Well, you know this is the nature of the beast, and it's a good segue to the January sixth commission and how Republicans continue to, you know talk about the committee itself being a sham, but the committee is doing work and, you know, essentially fact finding. I mean, yeah, you wanna call it a sham, you wanna call it partisan. But Republicans did have ample opportunity to participate. They could have, they should have, they could have had subpoena power. It's a error, a blunder on the part of the, Congre- the Republican congressional leadership, particularly Kevin McCarthy, to have not participated in some sort of commission. John Katko from upstate New York was the one behind it, negotiated it, and Republicans could have had parity on the committee, and they should have. And you think about January 6th, uh, it's a tragic day, a tragic day, no matter how you feel about uh, who should have won the election, Biden, Trump, et cetera. The The United States of America is an enduring republic. It's a great beacon of light to the world. It's a great symbol of freedom. And on that day, people obviously felt disenfranchised, so disenfranchised by the democracy that they resorted to violence in order to have their say, uh, which is never – which really should never be acceptable. And we see from polling right now that there are many people out there who feel that political violence is acceptable – Uh, Is uh, in fact not just acceptable, but they feel that it's actually a tool to get to their political aims. And that is something that we all need to be vigilant about. We all need to think about uh, that violence is never, never should be the answer when it comes uh, to this. So, two quick comments. I just want to. I think we have to highlight something that was just really uh, awful, and maybe it's a legacy of incredible Christian anti-Semitism that continues somehow to permeate some of the churches, this statement on behalf of all the churches in the Holy Land, meaning Israel, that they are—the Christian community is dwindling, and the Christian community is under siege, and, uh, you know, just a a, a statement. Now, on the face, okay, so you want to make a statement— what was the statement say? Countless incidents of physical and verbal assaults, holy sites regularly vandalized, and ongoing intimidation, and a systematic attempt to drive the Christian community out of Jerusalem and other parts of the Holy Land. And they talk specifically about Israel. Now, it's interesting because specifically the Archbishop of Canterbury, as Elliot Abrams points out in in the Bulwark uh, uh, very appropriately, the Archbishop of Canterbury does not criticize other countries that are losing Christian population in the Middle East, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, some with with very long and proud Christian uh, traditions, and Gaza and the West Bank. Israel, the Christian population, is actually growing. It's a a fact. And yet, and yet, uh, let's criticize Israel. Let's single out Israel specifically for criticism And this is the same time that the Church of England is apologizing for expelling the Jews back in the 1200s. Somehow, you know, we'll have have two sides of it. Uh, The last comment, I think, is just uh, something – the absurdity of the week is this poll that came out is that Latinos don't want to be referred to as Latinx – uh, that the polling about that, they, progressives have this idea of what they want the world to be and how everybody should think and how everybody should look at themselves and this Latin You know, it's of course, we sensitive as far as Hebrew is concerned, which has gender, is not gender neutral. We have gender terms. And that is something that is very necessary for us to keep in mind is when they come to tell us that we have to change our language as well. Well, guess what? You know, we have, pro- Latinos sitting there, and they're saying, we don't want to be Latinx. These are not issues that we care about. And it polls very, very poorly amongst actual Latinos. No wonder why Donald Trump did well amongst Latino voters in 2020, much to the surprise of many. That's it for this week here on Spin Glass, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week, but also remember what happened on January 6th. Let's never repeat that day you